ladies in the choir. It was such a sweet gift to let the guys have the day off. A nice happy Father's Day present. Look at Yup celebrating out there. <laughs> happy Father's Day to all the dads, all the granddads, all the guys that stand in the gap for a dad. We are very mindful of you and we appreciate you. Will you please bow your heads with me as I pray? Almighty Father, our heavenly Father, we are so grateful for everything that you do for us, through us, in us. I pray, Father, that you will open the eyes and the ears of our hearts, that we will hear your word in a fresh new way, that we will take it from this place, live it out, and share it with others. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray, amen. So my friends, back in February, Chad came to my office and asked me to pray about something. He said, hey, I know this isn't your thing. I know you don't think that you have a gift with children or with the youth. That's true. He says, but I'm praying for you and I'm asking you to pray about this for one month and just see what the Holy Spirit says. Like with a lead in like that, I'm already like, oh, what is this gonna be? He says, don't give me an answer right now, just pray about going on the high school mission trip to Mobile, Alabama in June. And I'm sure that you've experienced something like this, right? Like pray about something you've never ever considered doing. Pray about something you don't necessarily want to do. But here's a good friend saying, pray. See if the Holy Spirit says that you should indeed do this. Oh boy. Well, prayer, prayer is the topic of our summer sermon series. We're embarking on Bible stories and examples of prayer. We'll be asking and hopefully answering, what is the point of prayer? Now, this is not going to be a how-to course on prayer. There's no one method that works the best every time. But there are certainly many examples of God's people reaching out to him, crying out to him, praising him in prayer. Think about the many different ways that we can communicate today. Speaking, talking on the phone, I could text you, I could send you an email. We have direct messaging and social media. We have Zoom. We have FaceTime and just on and on. So many ways to communicate. Well, it's the same thing in talking to God. There are myriad ways to communicate with him. And each of the Bible characters we encounter this summer approaches God or, or each one responds to God in a different manner. People like Abraham and Moses, David, all the way to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. From these folks, we're going to learn how to pray, what it means to pray, what is the point of prayer. Today, I hope to show you the point of prayer in a dialogue between Abraham and God way back in Genesis in the beginning. 
And in these passages, we're gonna see this dialogue of prayer between our heavenly father, God, and our ancestral father, Abraham. And we're gonna see how Abraham has to wait a very long wait for God's provision. So as Beth shared from Genesis 12, Abraham, he's first known to us as Abram, he's married to Sarai, and this childless couple is aging. Uh, We think Abraham's probably about 75 when God first appears to him, so Sarai is probably about 65, and having children was no longer something they considered. They had their nephew, Lot, and his family, They had house servants and their families, but they had no biological children of their own. And in Beth's story, we know that God approached Abram and he told him, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And God showed Abram the land of Canaan. And he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And God desires to do this, to bless Abram because he is a faithful man. But no baby comes and there's no land. Year after year after year, there is no child. And this is truly a rough time in their lives. You can grieve something that could have been, what might have been, but did not occur. Abram strives to believe. He wants to put his faith and his trust in the divine promise, even when there's no concrete evidence to support it. And he's holding on to a right relationship with God. But it can be tough sometimes. And he can make some poor choices. The chapters in Genesis bear that out. But aren't we temporal beings like that too? We want it now. My daddy used to say, you're the fast food generation. Because we want it. We want it immediately and we've become accustomed to that. We expect that. Well, when that doesn't happen in our prayer life, we may be sorely tempted to think, God didn't hear me. God doesn't care. God's left. God didn't mean it. Oh, we're so human. We put God in these human limits of our perspective on time, our perspective on what would be the best way to answer our prayers. Well, there's a lot of material today in Genesis 15 to 17, where we're headed in just a minute. So open your Bibles to Genesis 15, one, keep it open. I'm gonna read some of it. I'm gonna summarize some of it. Beginning at 15, one. Sometime later, after the Genesis 12 story, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision And God said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children 
Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, is gonna inherit all of my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When the time becomes agonizingly long, God takes note of his servant's cries, his need for reassurance. God says, look at the heavens, number the stars if you can. A task which is never possible even with our most sophisticated telescopes today. How appropriate that the sign that God will give to Abraham, not only his own descendants, but all of the children of faith in every nation, an impossible number to count. At this point, I know some of you are thinking, okay, yeah, Sabrina, that was way back then. God doesn't do that today. Oh, please let me beg to differ with you. God still speaks to us today. He invites us to dialogue with him, to pray. And as Easter people, we believe in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Easter people, we have the Holy Spirit with us all the time. Abram didn't have that. We have Jesus Christ, our Savior. Abram didn't have that. So God has a voice, God has an appearance that is a little bit different with Abraham than perhaps what we have today. But we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes with sighs too deep for words. We have the Holy Spirit who speaks to our hearts with these little Holy Spirit nudgings. And we are hearing today that Muslims are experiencing dreams of Jesus. And we personally can be living examples of God speaking to us through a friend, through a total stranger, through the woman in Walmart that approaches my husband and says, God sees you at a time that was really low in his life. And let's not discount our friends who take action on a Holy Spirit nudge and ask you to pray about going on a high school mission trip in Alabama. So, back to our story, picking back up at verse six in chapter 15. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of Abram's faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. 
From Genesis 12 to Genesis 15, Abram still has not received what was promised. In his elderly years and in Sarah's barren state, there's nothing that he can do on his own to achieve the promise. He's helpless. So Abram holds on to God's promise and he reminds him, you made me a promise, God. We may remind God of his promises. Something like, Lord, in Jeremiah, you said that you would bless me, that you have plans for my benefit and not for my harm. It's a little rough right now. I would kind of like to see some hope. Or you might tell him, Lord, there's a hundred different times in your Bible where you tell me that you will never leave me, you will never forsake me, you will always be with me, you will always be my God. But I'm feeling like maybe you packed up and left. I need to hear from you, Lord. I need to see from you, Lord. I need to know that you fulfill what your word says. In good Presbyterian fashion, I'll give you a third example. Here's the one that I say to him. I tell him, God, you are the God who raised Jesus from the dead. If you can raise Jesus from the dead, you can do this little thing. It's not whining or complaining. It's telling God, I'm in your word. I am trying to be gospel fluent, to be biblically literate. And I see what your word says, and I want to see you be big, God. Do you know it brings him great joy? Great joy when you remind him of what his scripture says, because you believe in him. So it is with Abram. When he asked God about the lineage and the land that have not yet come, so God holds a little ceremony to seal the deal, to demonstrably commit to the promise of land and lineage. And this ceremony is quite a thing with animals, a cow, a goat, and a ram, all split open in half. It's a little beyond PG-13. So I'm gonna let you read all the details of that in your own time. But what is important here is that we don't know why those particular animals are chosen, but we do know, and history does show us, that this is a custom that occurred during Abram's time. In a human covenant like this, they would split the animal and they would say, let what happens to these animals here happen to me if I do not uphold my end of the deal. God recognizes this and he speaks to Abram in his language. God comes to us and what we are accustomed to. Read that on your own. We're gonna skip that part. But also read the next part. It's very interesting. God foretells to Abram the Exodus story, which hasn't happened yet. He, he tells Abram, your descendants will first be foreigners in a land that's not theirs. Eventually the families there will be made into slaves and they'll be oppressed for 400 years. But then God says that he's gonna judge that nation, 
the nation that enslaves them. That is Egypt and Pharaoh. And when the time comes, Abram's descendants will emerge from that land with many possessions. That is the parting of the Red Sea and Moses. And he tells Abram, you will die one day in peace and you will be buried in the land. And many generations later, your descendants will possess the land. And God tells him all of this in advance in Genesis 15. The point of all of this is that God responds to Abram's cries that he had no heir, he had no land for such a person to inherit. And God does not rebuke Abram. Because of this dialogue, this prayer discussion, Abram and the Lord enter into a solemn treaty, a serious relationship. And God's covenant with Abram changes not only Abram's future, but the future of the whole world. And it's helpful to us that Abram expresses his misgivings, that he voices out his cry to the Lord, that this is recorded in the Bible for us. Listen, the Psalms, the Psalms record a whole range of human emotions and experiences, reactions to life. And these songs, the Psalms, they're an honest discussion, a prayer at the bewilderment that comes up in us when God seems far away, when he appears to have allowed wrongdoing to succeed. We have freedom to express our misgivings and that leads on to the Lord's response. He doesn't rebuke us for somehow being rude or disrespectful. He redoubles the promise just like here for Abram. You see, Abram's learning that lesson that every believer comes to deal with at some point. God's delays are not denials. God's delays are not denials. In a meeting we had yesterday with the deacons, I conducted a little sermon research. And I asked them about prayers, like when you've seen answered prayers. One deacon said it was 10 years, that they waited 10 years to see God's hand. Another deacon shared that they waited almost that family member's entire life to see God taking action. And another deacon shared that they're still praying, they're still waiting, they're still believing. Although the years are passing, and many of Abram's contemporaries have passed away by this point. Abram continues to rely on God giving him a son. So if we pick back up with our story in Genesis 17 now, verse one, it's about 25 years that have passed. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. That's God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. 
I call that face in the carpet prayers. And then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. You will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This everlasting covenant, I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and to your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Skip down just a little bit for a minute to verses 15 and 16. God also changes Sarai's name to Sarah because the covenant applies to her as well. She will conceive a son by Abraham and her new name will mean the princess of nations to come. That is how everyone will know them now. They will parent generations, everyone they encounter, shepherds, people in the marketplace, everyone they meet will know father of many nations and princess of nations to come before there is even one child. The name change announces publicly what God is going to do. And the onus is, in, is on God. The scripture shows, I promise, I will make, I will bless. And God keeps his promises. Step back just a little bit in the story. There's an important bit in the middle of the name changes that I need to address. So take a look at this. This is still in chapter 17, verses nine and 10. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. Abraham's part in the agreement is to make sure that he and his descendants keep the covenant throughout the generations. And the outward sign of the inward covenant is that each male be circumcised. It's a special sign of a relationship that is bonded together by loyalty and love. Any male, any male born in Abram's home, any male servant, any children that are males of the servants, males of any age. It is all inclusive. Anyone who chooses not to bear the sign forfeits the promises of the covenant. Now, while this practice is no longer literally applicable for keeping the covenant, there is a similarity in our sacraments. Our sacrament of baptism also seals what God's word proclaims. 
It signifies what God is saying to us, that he is our God and we are his people. We are repenting and he forgives us. Similarly, in the Lord's Supper. Communion also signifies what the Lord has done for us, that he is our God and we are his people. God initiates the invitation to us to come, to enjoy the feast. And all who believe become heirs with Jesus Christ and the promises of God. So by the faith in the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ, we're invited into this dialogue of prayer with the God Most High to have a deep relationship with him. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament even writes about this in Romans chapter four. He says, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. He is the father of us all. And as it is written, God says, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become a father of many nations. The promise of land and lineage. From Abraham, we get Isaac. And from Isaac, we get the twins, Esau and Jacob, that wily Jacob. From Jacob, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And those 12 tribes, for centuries, we can trace their activity. Through the tribe of Judah, we get King David, Solomon, and eventually the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. From the little tribe of Benjamin, we get the Apostle Paul and 13 books of the Bible. Abraham. All of this points back to Abraham and conversing with God and reminding God of the promises, crying out to the Lord in painful times and rejoicing with him at the birth of the son he had with Sarah. The whole world's future is impacted by this promise of a child to Abraham. From the beginning in Genesis, throughout the generations to our Lord Jesus, praise be to God the one who hears us, who sees us, who keeps his promises. Back in February, when Chad came to my office and he asked me to pray for a month about going on the high school mission trip to Mobile, Alabama, huh, it would have been so much easier to just say no. No, that's not my gift. No, I'm not comfortable. Like. Really, what would I have to offer them? And good grief, like I didn't even go on my own high school mission trip. But I respect Chad. And I trust the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And maybe there was something to this thing I didn't want to go do that could turn out good. So I took two months, not one. Soaking in prayer, hoping he'd say no. 
to see if this is really what I was supposed to do. And you know what? I was supposed to go. I was supposed to be there for my two adult partners in crime, Doris Coe and Jake DeLapp. I was supposed to be there for Ms. Fields who needed her dilapidated house painted desperately. And I was supposed to be there to pray with her out in the street in front of her house. I was supposed to be there when she welcomed me into her home. I was supposed to be there with these amazing students who gave above and beyond what was asked of them. These terrific students who helped Ms. Fields and who committed to pray for her even after they returned to their safe and comfortable homes in Kingwood. On the trip, they write notes of affirmation to each other. They even wrote a couple to me. I wanna read you this. It says, Sabrina, I have to admit, I never really knew who you really were until this mission trip. Like I knew you were our pastor and were really caring, but I didn't know you had a really good sense of humor. That is gold right there. That's gold. These terrific students gave above and beyond to help me on my very first high school mission trip, but not my last. Amen. To God be the glory. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, King of kings, ruler of the entire universe, each star is known to you. Help us to trust. Help us to keep on believing when we have such a long wait sometimes. Help us, Lord God, to dialogue with you, to remind you of your scripture, and to watch with hearts of expectation that you're going to be big. Lord God, help us then to speak to others, to help them think in terms of you answering prayer. We love you, Lord. We praise you for your Holy Spirit moving among us and for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Amen.